what happens to us when we're afraid? When we hear stories on the news, on the TV, uh, what, what goes on in us when we're afraid for our lives or our sense of control and comfort is threatened? Maybe just a little bit. Maybe it's, we're really not threatened at all, but because the information is so, so there and so accessible and so in our face, um, we go on tilt or we, we're insecure. And many of us, for many of us, fear when we're afraid, um, things, weird things happen, right? And so there, there are stories of um, Asians in, in America, in schools, um, being threatened or being you know, treated wrongly or people being afraid to touch them just because they're Asian, because that's where the coronavirus originated in China. And so that means all Chinese people have the virus, even though you know, we know that it's in Italy, you know, it's in the United States, it's in Washington. And so as a community of faith, I think it's really good for us to think through these things. There's no discrimination when it comes to the coronavirus. And also, we should take steps to be careful. You know, we can always, during the flu season, take steps to wash our hands more and, you know, be careful uh, how we do these. And also, to honor people's need to be careful. So during our welcoming time, uh, you know, maybe people don't want to shake hands. We can do, do the elbow bump. Uh, I was at my brother's church, and I wasn't thinking about this at all. And I was like, I met my brother, one of their leaders, and I went to shake his hand, and he goes, we do the COVID elbow bump. And I was like, what, 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 the COVID elbow bump? And I thought he was joking, but he was serious. He actually didn't take my hand. And they had like Purell all over the place, Purell bottles. And uh, it's hard. It's hard to think about that, like uh, how much we need to take precautions and how much we need to just remember that everyone, we're all people and that we, we all need to connect, and that we all uh, need to honor and respect each other, and not let fear bring up the ugly stuff that's inside, but beneath the surface. Or maybe that ugly stuff needs to come out, and we, we need to have larger conversations as a nation and as a country. Um, because one of the things that we do see is the xenophobia and fear of the other um, in our nation. When when we're afraid, when people start to get afraid. Amen? Amen? Are you with me, church? And so renew, we're as a multicultural, multi-ethnic body or trying to be a reconciled body. We are light. And one of the ways that we shine is to be ambassadors of the truth. When there's fake news, we go, boom, we shoot it and knock it to the ground and say, well, this is, let me tell you the good news, not the fake news. Amen? And so we've got the good news and we, we need to share that and let that shine brightly. But how many of you get hungry sometimes? We all get hungry sometimes, right? Mark especially, raising their hands. And it, you might not be able to tell it, but my tummy is an endless cavern, right? It's an abyss. It doesn't look like that. It looks small and like dainty, right? But it is a cavern. It's a pit. And when I get hungry, it's like I feel like I need to eat a snack or eat something at least once every couple of hours. My problem is that sometimes I get to working, I get in a task, I don't like to get interrupted because I, if I 
Am I interrupted? It'll be hard to like get back into that task. So I often work through breakfast, work through lunch. Sometimes uh, I'm not eating dinner. And so when I'm really involved in a task and I get hungry, and when you're hungry, you know, my blood sugar goes down, I get a little shaky, uh, a little weary, weak, faint, and, and sometimes my belly, you know, my dainty belly starts to talk, right? Make those growling, like, it sounds like it's a whale inside here going, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. People can actually hear what's going on in my body, and my tummy is trying to tell me something. And when we are really hungry, and when we're uh, really thirsty, we act differently, right? Or at least I do. (laughs) When I don't, when I'm really hungry, sometimes I can get a little desperate. Like if I'm in a ballpark or, you know, some sort of state fair or in Disneyland, and I'm hungry and really need something to eat, it doesn't matter how much that hot dog costs or how much that, you know, soda costs, how much that little pretzel costs, I'll pay an arm and a leg just to get food in me. And that's how they make money, because people get hungry. And you, you know, you can't go outside of the park. It'll take forever, at least an hour to go to a restaurant or, you know, McDonald's or something and to pick something up. So you need to get something in the park or the movie theater or somewhere and just eat. And so you'll pay whatever. You're in Safeco Field or what is it now? T-Mobile Park. And you'll pay $15 for that little hot dog. And you're like, Where's the nearest Costco? I could get a, a Polish dog and a soda for a dollar fifty. Still, I heard that Costco is cutting. Um, what are they cutting? They're cutting something. They don't have the Polish dog. They only have the regular. Yeah, but they're going to cut something else because they're they're losing too much money. They're not trying to make money from it, but they're losing too much money, huh? Yeah, I think it has something to do with the hot dog. Maybe they're taking the bun away. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) But they're taking something away. Uh, But hunger, it makes us do different things, right? When you're really hungry, you could be like going next to the guy and they're eating something and you're like being rude and like watching them actually eat it, right? Or sometimes I had a friend who went to the movie theaters and he loves popcorn. And people, you know, after the last movie gets out, they leave popcorn, right? Right on the chairs and stuff. He would just pick that stuff up and just eat the popcorn, right? We don't do that now, right? Um, But when you're hungry, you get desperate, and you do desperate things. You do different things. And that brings me to my time when I was in high school. My senior year in high school, uh, my parents had moved to Hawaii. (laughs) They left me and my brother in an apartment uh, uh, to live on our own while they were in Hawaii. Maybe I was 18 at the time. Actually, I wouldn't have turned 18 until I was May. So I was a minor living under my brother's care. Um, he was a fresh, or he was in UW, and he didn't care about me. He just went out, you know, went to UW, went, hung out with his friends, and like, no, there's no one making you a lunch in your like lunch sack or you're taking your lunch box to school. You you just have a dollar fifty or a dollar back then to buy a lunch, and sometimes we didn't have loose change, and so I'd go to school without a lunch. It'd be so hard because I would not bring my lunch to school, and and I'd get so hungry during the day. And my stomach would start talking to me. Um, 
And when you're hungry like that, you start to gaze a little too long at other people's lunches, right? And, and you'd be like, yeah, are you eating that? And uh, so, you know, my sense of dignity and, and not kind of uh, propriety and being polite kind of went out the door. Are you eating that? Are you going to eat the rest of that? But then we got sophisticated. We learned how to steal lunches by sneaking past the lunch lady, okay? I've, Jesus has since healed me. He's forgiven me by the grace of God. <laughs> Discipleship, I'm now a pastor, okay? You don't have to be like, oh my gosh, our pastor steals. Come on. Didn't you guys do bad things growing up? You guys are all sheltered, sheltered people, <laughs> right? Uh, and so we, we used to steal lunches by sneaking past the lunch lady. And by the way, I had a crush on that lunch lady, right? <laughs> With that head, hair net. Man, that hair net. I still remember it. Anyways, that hair net. Oh, uh, yeah, the hair net. We'd wait for someone um, to be, start paying for their lunch. And as she was distracted, my friend would reach. The napkins were always there by the cash register, you know, so they could dole them out to us. And he'd reach in front of her, blocking the line of sight to me, and take, can I have some extra napkins? And take some napkins just as I walked behind the person ahead of me by with the lunch. And so that's how we got free lunches. Uh, but my friends did this too. And even though they, they had lunches, they had great moms and dads and parents who would give them like Lunchables and, you know, great, you know, amazing things. Uh, even though they had their lunches, they just liked the thrill of stealing lunches. And so we were the crew. They just wanted that danger. Um, their stomachs weren't empty. They were just bored, right? Their brains were empty, maybe. Um, or perhaps they were hungry for something else, adventure or camaraderie. Anyway, when we're hungry, we do stupid things. And this is eat this isn't uh, even hungry, hungry, right? I don't think any of us in this room are hungry, hungry. Like, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from, or I go for a week without a meal, or I only get, you know, rationed out food each day. We know that most of us, when we're hungry, we can just stop somewhere, or we can go home, and we can eat. And so when we're hungry, we're like, what I call fat hungry, comfortable hungry, right? We're so used to feeding and snacking and getting that what we need, what we want at the time we want it, that when we don't have that thing for just a little bit, we get uncomfortable. And our stomachs are like weak. They're like, I'm hungry. They're like whining. They're not marathon runners. And so we don't know hungry, hungry, but we still do stupid stuff, right? We're not hungry, hungry like if you fasted for 40 days, and your body started to actually eat itself alive, right? Consume itself. But we know a little bit about hunger pangs and hunger pains. We're used to eating when we want. Or maybe you've been thirsty. There are days I just don't drink anything but coffee. I'm lazy, and I don't have time to mix things up. Coffee when I'm tired. Coffee, when I'm thirsty. Coffee, there's water in it, right? So it's when I'm thirsty, if I drink coffee, right, it's going to quench my thirst. 
drink some water, man. So in our passage, Jesus is actually physically hungry, physically thirsty. He's famished. Right? Imagine that he's been in the wilderness, and Jerusalem is in a desert area. It would be hot. It's a hot desert. And he's been going for 40 days without food. Could you imagine if you fasted for 40 days in the wilderness? How hungry you would be. Your body would be burning. And your throat would be so parched. Just think of how bad your breath would be. And then you think about what's going on in your brain. I say crazy things when I'm tired, just when I'm a little loopy when I'm tired. Just think when you haven't been eating for 40 days, how the crazy thoughts, like you, you begin to see mirages, illusions, you, all these like, you just get paranoid, you're afraid, you're des- how desperate you get when you're hungry. And when we're hungry in general, whether that's being in transition, whether that's physically ill, or actually physically hungry, or maybe you're struggling financially, or you're in need of intimate relationships, but right now you're starving in your relationships, we begin to reach more, right? We begin to be, because we're desperate, we begin to reach more in our life because that comfort that we rely on those little creature comforts that we rely on and rest our hands on, the seats that we sit on to give us some sort of stability and some sort of comfort, it's no longer there. So we become desperate, we become scared, we become anxious, and we reach a little more. We'll pay extra for food just to get something in our belly. Actually, the Bible tells the story of two brothers, right? Two brothers who were twins. And one brother was a burly hunter, a bear of a man. And the other was skillful at the domestic arts and a great cook. And they competed regularly for the affections of their parents and ultimately for the family birthright. And one day, Esau, the hunter brother, goes out hunting, hunting, hunting. All day he's been hunting and he hasn't eaten. And finally he comes home and Jacob, his brother, the one gifted in the domestic arts and cooking has been cooking what the Bible describes as this wonderful red stuff. And Esau says, hey, I'm famished. Give me that red stuff. And Jacob, being a cunning little brother, says, sell me your birthright. Give me your birthright as the eldest son, and I'll give you a bowl of this red stuff. And Esau's like, whatever, whatever. Here's my birthright. Take it. Just give me some food. It was like, gumbo, yes. And so Esau, for the immediate gratification, sells out his identity. Right? We do crazy things when we're hungry. We do crazy things when we're desperate. We lose track of a sense of value and our principles when we are both physically starving or when our souls are starving. Looking at leftover food on the table in a restaurant. Mmm, what if I just took that? 
And Jesus here has been led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. This same Holy Spirit, a tra- chapter, the chapter before this, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, and the Spirit, like a dove, has just descended upon Jesus, and the heavens have opened up, and God's voice has actually come out and said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Like, if you're a words of affirmation person, just think about it. It's like, I have never felt such great love as this God has like opened up the heavens and said, he's well pleased with me. And the Holy Spirit has like descended upon me. Jesus, everyone's there in public and can see that Jesus has been affirmed, that Jesus's identity has been established, that God, this is God's son and the spirit is with him. And right after that moment, his coming out, I'm coming out into the world. I'm coming out into ministry. Then the Holy Spirit immediately, boom, let's go to the wilderness and you can start for 40 days. Ouch, what? There's no glory in this. It's like going to basic training all of a sudden, right? So the Holy Spirit has been led to the wilderness, or Jesus has been led to the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and he has been led intentionally into hunger and thirst. The point is a heightened awareness of where true life comes from. True life isn't from bread, food, physical needs, but from the word of God. Amen? So there's three stages of temptation. Satan says, just say the word and I'll change this stone into bread and you can eat it. You're hungry. Why should you suffer? I'll do this for you. And Jesus says, man does not, humanity does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, right? Even though I'm hungry, and mind you, the angels don't attend to Jesus until after this temptation. So he's still hungry. He's still in a vulnerable state. And Jesus still does not sell out, does not sell his birthright as Esau did just because he was hungry. I would have been like, sure, can you change that into a soda too? Like, give me some food, I'm hungry. Jesus says, no, the word of God is life. That's first, that's primera, right? is the word of God, is the original source of life. And that's what I need more than to s- that immediate gratification of food, my belly. And I'm not going to take it from you. Amen? Secondly, Tempter quotes Psalm 91.11 when he says, just jump, right? Didn't, didn't the scripture say that if you jumped like God would send his angels and w- to save you and wouldn't let even your foot scrape the rocks. They'd like come and swoop down like Superman and lift you up and save you, right? Just do it. Just do it. Didn't God say that? And this is an example of, I think, when you look at this temptation, like what's behind it? And I think it's an example of how we go before God and try to pull God into God, our image of Godness. Does that make sense? This is the opposite of faithful living. When we, we are led into the wilderness by God and we follow, the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness and he followed. We are led into the unknown by God 
We are led into salvation by God. We are led to the promise by God. He goes before and sets the narrative. He went before. The Spirit went before the people in the desert, in the wilderness, in the exodus, by a pillar of fire at night and a, cl- a pillar of a cloud by day, right? God goes before the people and leads them. So Jesus then uses the scripture to counteract the tempter. Do not put the Lord to the test. And this is the second time Jesus has used scripture. And all three scriptures that Jesus used come from Deuteronomy, right? So Deuteronomy, mind you, is where God begin, the people are, are in the wilderness and God begins through Moses to lay down, like, this is the way that you are to live. Here's the laws and the commandments of how you should live in the wilderness, how you should follow me. And the people were like good and bad, and, some, and a lot of times they failed. Um, but Jesus here in his 40-day temptation is setting an example of what it means not to fail, not to be like, man, we're hungry, God, forget you. We're thirsty in this desert. We're just going to die. Forget you. Jesus is actually saying, no. I'm hungry, but I need the word of God. Two, I can manipulate God. I could go before God and say, you said, you said if I did this, you love me, you would, you would get my back. So do that now. Don't test the Lord. He refuses to test God and say, actually, you first, God. You guide me. You lead me. And then the, the third temptation from Satan is, you know, he's like, go up on this peak and look at all of these lands, all of this kingdom, this realm, and just bow down to me and it will be yours. And here's the problem with what Satan is doing, right? God is the only one who created out of chaos and out of nothing, right? Satan can't take from nothing and make something. He can only take what God has already done or God has already promised or the words that God has already given and twist it as if it was his to give, right? So this is what Satan's doing. He's like, I'll give you this land. I'll give you this realm. I'll give you power and authority and people will love you if you just bow to me. It's not his to give in the first place. And, and, God has already promised this to Jesus. Jesus already knows that in the end, the victory is his, and he will have power and authority over all people. He's the savior of the world. It's not Satan's the given. This is the lie. It's the fake news, right? And Satan, that's all he can do is twist the news, just like in the garden. And we've said this before. Did God really say that if you ate from the fruit, that this would happen? God didn't really say that. Satan cannot create out of nothing. He has to take what's already there and twist it. Are you with me, church? And that's temptation. And so when we are in the wilderness, when we are hungry, when we are thirsting, and we forget, and our mind gets a little crazy, and we get desperate, and we're like, I should just do this. I should go after that. I need this. I need this. Just remember the promises of God. Pull out your journal. Open it up to when you were 16 even. 
Oh, God said this. I remember when God did this. I prayed this, and he spoke his promises to me. I remember God is real, and he's already given me this. He's already said, you are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. You are my beloved. I love you. You're beautiful. You're good. I look upon you, and I say, now that is really good. And we forget. One thing, in desperate times, we forget that. We, we think we're ugly and stupid and unloved, right? And so then we start to listen to this lie that says, the, the snake that goes, yes, you can be loved if you just do this. Kiss the hand and you will have this. This will give you life. This will give you promise. And we forget and into this, Jesus once again quotes from Deuteronomy and says, do not or love the Lord your God and only God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Only God. Fidelity to God. Pureness of heart is undivided heart. Worship the Lord your God. And only your God. Are you with me, church? And so my, my challenge to you is remember that God is saying, this is the way. This is the way. When you forget it, maybe you're going through a little, some bumps on the road. Maybe you don't know what your future is going to hold. You're between jobs. Maybe you've lost something. You're about to move. Right? <laughs> Maybe we're really scared and worried about what's going to happen uh, in our country and our government coming up in the fall. Like, what's going to happen? And maybe we're scared to death. <laughs> I'm scared to death. I'm worried. Or maybe we're worried about our health. We're worried about the news about this virus. We're worried about what's going to happen to uh, our friends and neighbors who are immigrants or who are in this country. There's a lot of things that are unsettled for us. And the journey is long. And it's hot. And there's so many shortcuts that can be taken. There's so many ways that we can be asked and tempted to sell our birthright, to say, I just want that soup right now. Right? Give it to me right now. Give it to me. Because I can't deal with this discomfort. And the challenge and the reason why we read as a church Jesus' temptation is because this is where, yes, God has said this is who he is, but this is where the rubber meets the road and he earns his street cred. Right? He actually goes through physical pain and emotional strain and temptation, just like you and me, just like we go through. And he comes through it and says, there is a way. There is a way. Stay, to use more Star Wars, stay on target. Stay on target. Don't sell out. Hang on. Be strong. This is the way. I am with you. 
And I think the end of this passage is so beautiful because it says, then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. God is with us. God will be with you and will attend to you. Be patient, endure. God will attend to you. Let's pray. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are life to us and that we don't just live by bread or by money or by um, security or comfort alone. We don't live just by material things or the uh, things of the world alone. Um, but we live because of who you are and the life that you breathe into us. So help us to cling to that when things are hard, to cling to that when we're wandering in the desert. And also as we may be fasting in this season of Lent or kind of um, not filling ourselves with the things that we usually fill, will you come into those empty spaces and do a work of healing um, that's been long in coming, that we've been waiting for for a long, long time? Come and fill the empty spaces and heal us and lift us up. In your name we pray, amen.